Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Welcome to everyone that's watching online and also watching on Spectrum Cable. We're really glad that you are with us this morning. We're continuing our sermon series called Fixer Upper, where we're going through the book of Nehemiah, and we're looking at it from kind of a different perspective, the idea of how do we improve our lives? How do we make our lives better and our our level of living uh, at a higher level than we're doing it right now. And we've seen some things in the first three chapters uh, to do that. First of all, you have to identify what the problem is or the area that you need to change in your life. Uh, Second, you need to take it to God. That's the very first thing. When you see an area that needs to be improved, you need to take it to God. Then you need to make an honest assessment of what's going on and where you're at in that area of your life. You need to gather the resources to help meet it, and then you need to begin to do something about it. Nehemiah has done all of those things in Jerusalem with the rebuilding of the wall. Jerusalem has been destroyed by the Babylonians. Uh, It's 75 years later. He's trying to rebuild the walls in the city of Jerusalem. They're about halfway done uh, of rebuilding the wall when Nehemiah chapter 4 starts. And so as we uh, get into it today, uh, let's start with a prayer if we could. Father, we thank you for your word as we look into it. Open our hearts and minds and help us to see your truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we've called this uh, series we're doing Fixer Upper because you're trying to fix an area of your life. And if you've ever seen that show Fixer Upper, it kind of has a general pattern. You know, they pick the house, they get the design plan, (coughs) they start to repair the house, And then there's always a problem. (coughs) Have you noticed that? No matter what show it is, they always run into a problem, something they didn't expect that comes out of nowhere. Who would have thought that that would have happened just to give a little tension, a little drama to what's going on in the show? Uh, I watched one one time, and uh, everything ended up being a problem. It was the third season of Fixer Upper, and they were doing a shotgun house, only the second shotgun house in the entire city of Waco that still stood from 1924. Here's a picture uh, of that shotgun house. Anybody remember that, that episode out there? Okay, all you, all you Fixer Upper devotees or something. So this shotgun house only cost $24,000, and they went in, and they were going to repair it, and they were going to fix it up. When they got in, everything was wrong. The pipes, the electric, uh, they didn't have enough room to do with their design. They'd actually raise the roof of the house and everything else. Everything they got into was a problem. Nothing in the house was what they thought it was going to be. It was just one big problem after another. But when they got through, this was the house at the end of it, this next picture that we have here. Uh, That's what they did uh, with that house. Quite a dramatic renovation that they took place. So for $75,000, they renovated the house. The house cost $24,000 to buy. And then a year later, the people who, bought, who owned the house put it on the market for $1 million. Now, don't get too excited. They didn't get it, the $1 million that was there. But they did put it on the market for $1 million. So then they started trying to rent it out, waiting for somebody to pay the million. 
and they are making $40,000 a year just renting this house out. And so they took it off the market. They're satisfied with $40,000 a year coming in from a house that cost them $24,000. So uh, that's, that's a pretty good deal. Problems came, and they were able to meet those problems. So we're going to look into chapter 4 of Nehemiah, and we're going to see chapter 4, the entire chapter is just one big problem. Uh, it's just one thing after another, and we're going to see how do you react when you've started, things seem to be going well, and then problems hit. You hit that wall, what's going on, how do you meet it? And so the first thing we see is this. Whenever you're trying to improve an area of your life, know this for sure. Challenges and problems will come. Challenges and problems will inevitably come whenever you're trying to improve an area of your life. If you think it's going to be easy, you're wrong. If it was easy, you would have done it already. If it was easy, it wouldn't be a problem in your life. It wouldn't be a major challenge. You have already have handled it and moved on. It's something that probably has been around for days, months, years, decades for some of you. And it's not going to just disappear without some challenges that come up. No, there will be challenges and there will be problems. Look at the very first three verses. The first three verses now, the wall's about half built. Things seem to be going well. He's divided up the labor and all of that, and problems begin to come. Now, when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. He was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing upon it could break down their walls of stone. Now, Sambalit and Tobiah, they're kind of like regional authorities that, that are in the area at this particular time. And, and you begin to see Sambalit isn't happy while they're rebuilding the wall. We're told he becomes angry and greatly incensed. That means he's really mad, okay, is what it comes down. He's greatly incensed. Uh, give me a greatly incensed face out there. Oh, thank you. Some of you, some of you are doing it really well. Okay, uh, so, so he's greatly incensed uh, as he's going through this. Why is he so upset? Well, he sees the rebuilding of the wall as a direct uh, challenge to his authority. Uh, he believes that if the wall is rebuilt, he's not going to have any control over this area, that this could become a mighty place again. And so he gets really upset about it. And so he begins to mock and ridicule them in front of all of his friends and the army of Samaria. Uh, he says they're feeble, what they're doing. Uh, he says they won't restore the wall. They can't finish it quickly. Uh, the stones are in heaps of rubble. The whole city's burned out. They're never going to succeed. And then Tobiah, another regional authority, who's by his side, says, what are they building? If a fox just walked into it, it would knock that whole feeble wall down. So you begin to see here the challenge that comes from these regional authorities, Sambalit and Tobiah, uh, as they begin to mock and ridicule the work that's being done. Whenever there's a challenge in your life and you're trying to improve your life and put it back together, there will come a time that you will hit a wall and the problems and the troubles and the challenges will come. And they'll come from a lot of different places. One challenge that will come will come directly from the devil himself. Let me tell you one thing. If you're just in neutral in your life 
and everything's going along fine, the devil will leave you alone. He has, he has no interest in bothering you if everything's in neutral. But you try to make something in your life better, you try to improve something in your life, you try to get closer to God, you try to handle a, an issue in your life that's holding you back. Maybe you've got an anger issue or a gossip issue or whatever. Whenever you try to improve something in your life, it doesn't set well with our enemy because he's only come to steal, kill, and destroy. So right there, you're going to have an issue as soon as you begin to improve something in your life. Another area where you're going to hit a wall and you're going to have trouble is with yourself. You're going to start doubt yourself a little bit as you get into it. Can I really do this? I've tried before and I've failed. It's just not working. I'm not disciplined enough. And you can make every reason and excuse in the world as to why you're not going to succeed in what you're doing. And then there'll be other people, some people you even think are your friends, that are going to ridicule you and mock you and tell you it's not going to work. And they're going to say things like, well, you know, you know you're not disciplined enough. You know that's not going to work. You'll never do that. You've tried it before. And they're going to mock and they're going to ridicule you just like Sambalit and Tobiah did with Nehemiah and the people rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. Uh, at a previous church I was at, there was a, a young man that, that had a, uh, an issue with, with alcohol and he'd just come out of rehab. And when he got out of rehab, he called me one night and he said, he said, uh, I, I just uh, had, a, had a little confrontation with some of my friends. He said, they called me. They wanted, to go out, wanted me to go out with them. And as soon as we got out, the first thing they wanted to do was they wanted me to start drinking again. And I told them, look, guys, I said, I've just been three months in a facility. I'm trying to get this together. I can't drink. And they said, you don't want to have fun anymore? What's wrong with you? And he said, here's the problem. They're my best friends. And this is what I told that guy. They are not your best friends. They are your worst enemies. Because your best friend would make sure you weren't drinking, not trying to get you to drink, and those are the people you need to get away with. And there will be people in your life that you think are friends that are going to say, you can't do it, you're not going to succeed. You need to find who your encouragers are. Your encouragers are your real friends. And so what we see in our scripture here is, okay, here is everything going well when suddenly... <coughs> They get this mocking. They get this, this coming in from other people. They're being pushed down. The problems and the challenges have come. And that brings us to the second thing that we see in our scripture passage. <coughs> when problems and challenges come, take them to God and be honest with how you feel about it. Take them to God and be honest with how you feel. Now, both things are important. Taking it to God, okay. You've got a problem with a challenge. The way you meet it is to take it to God. But you've got to be honest with God about how you feel. Let's see how Nehemiah does that in verses 4 through 6. So after they're mocked by Tobiah and Sambalit, Nehemiah prays to God. Listen to his prayer in verses 4 through 6. Hear us, our God, we are despised. Turn their insults back upon their own heads. Give them over as plunder into a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And so we rebuilt the wall until, half of it re until all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all of their hearts. So Nehemiah prays to God. It's an honest prayer, and it's an interesting prayer. Man, it is, it is exactly how he feels. He says, God, listen to what they're saying, that we were taken into captivity. Take them into captivity. Don't forgive their sin. Bring it back upon them. Is Nehemiah in a, in a good, friendly, 
religious frame of mind right here. No, he's mad. He's mad because he's trying to do God's will and these people are undermining everything that's going on and he's honest with God about how he feels. You've got to be honest with God about how you feel. If what you do is you hold it in and you say, well, I shouldn't feel that way or, or that's not the proper way to feel or something like that or, or, you know, these emotions shouldn't be there, you're not being honest with God. You've got to tell God exactly how you feel and when you tell God exactly how you feel, he can do something with it. When you try to act like there's no problem or you gloss it over or you say, I shouldn't feel that way, you're never going to move forward in your life because God can't do anything until you really acknowledge where you are and how you feel about where you are. God can use a real emotion and help you through it. The problem isn't how you feel. If you say you shouldn't feel that way, sorry, I do feel that way. The problem isn't with how you feel. It's what do you do with how you feel? And that's what Nehemiah was. He took how he felt. He took it directly to God. God was able to work through it. And because of that, we're told in verse 6, they get back to the work and half of the wall is completed because they're working with their whole heart at this particular time. It's amazing what's going on. So we have to be honest with God, have to be honest with our emotions. God can do something with it and break it through. Here's an example of someone being honest with God. Take a look at this picture uh, right here. When you eat healthy for one day and check to see if your summer body's ready yet. And it's just not there. And you say, God, I don't understand. I, I, I skipped lunch yesterday and ate tofu for supper and my summer body's still not back. And so you're frustrated and you're angry and you take that to God. Well, that's what we need to do is we need to be honest with God. God can do something with that. That brings us to the third thing that we see in our scripture passage. We need to realize that there will be times that you are going to get discouraged. And when you get discouraged, the easiest thing in the world to do, the number one default is to just quit. That's the number one thing. You'll get discouraged and the easiest thing to do is going to be to quit. Now, in verse 6, everything's going well. In verse 6, they, he, they've gone to God, they were honest, they've started rebuilding again. But guess what? Just because you hit a wall and you take it to God and you get going again, it doesn't mean your problems are going to disappear. It doesn't mean you're never going to be discouraged again. As a matter of fact, those problems that come, those problems may follow you the entire time you're trying to improve an area of your life. Going to God doesn't mean the problem disappears. Going to God means you have a resource to meet the problem. And that's an entirely different thing. So everything seems to be going well again in verse 6, and then verse 7 hits. Look down to verse 7 and 8. But when Sambalit, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to the walls of Jerusalem had gone ahead, that the gaps were being closed, they became very angry. Not just angry, what were they? Very angry, okay. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. So now we've gone to being mocked to them taking an army and they have an actual army and coming into Jerusalem and attacking the people, rebuilding the wall, that takes it to a little bit different level. 
the royal cavalry that had come with Nehemiah are long gone back to Susa that was there. There's nothing to, no army to protect them in Jerusalem, and they're being told that they're about to be attacked at any moment. Down to verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard uh, day and night to meet this threat. So again, Nehemiah does exactly what he was supposed to do. Problem hits, they take it to God, they're honest. Problem hits, they take it to God, and they're honest. Here's the thing. The problem doesn't just disappear. It doesn't mean I've taken it to God and it's gone. It means, okay, God's going to help me through it. So the problem doesn't just disappear, even though this is the second time they've taken it to God. So let's see what happens down to verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble, we can't rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them. We will kill them and put an end to this work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they're going to attack you. So they're hit on three different sides here. First, they're hit personally with where they're at. And they said, man, we're just getting tired. There's so much rubble. The wall's only half built. We're never going to get this through. And so they start doubting themselves. And their own minds are telling them, you're not going to succeed. <laughs> then their enemies attack them. At any moment, we're going to come upon you, and you won't know when we're coming, and we're going to kill you. And then just like we said before, third, even their friends start doubting them. You better be ready, because they could come at any moment, and they'll be all around you. And suddenly, the people have become very discouraged. There will come a time when you're trying to get your life together, trying to improve some area of your life, you're going to hit that wall, and you'll take it to God, the problems won't disappear, and you'll start getting discouraged. And you'll start saying, this is never going to work. Other people will tell you, it's not going to work. You, you know, there'll seem to be things that will come upon you that will get in the way over and over again. I'm going to read my Bible every night before I go to bed. And then every night before you go to bed, something comes up. The baby starts crying. You're just tired. Uh, Kentucky goes into overtime. Louisville, uh, you know... Uh, uh, Louisville is, is at the very end of the game, and you just can't turn it off. You know, something's going on, and you're trying to figure out, what do I do about this? How do I get through it? It seems to be one problem after another. You finally start to lose that weight, and somebody brings that bag of Doritos home. And you think, you know, it's just calling my name. I don't know what to do about that. And it seems problems come from every direction, and the easiest thing to do will be to quit. That's the easiest thing. And that's our default position over and over again. Hey, I tried, troubles came, problems come, and I quit. Remember what we said the first sermon of this series? Most people's New Year's resolutions are over and broken within two weeks. Two weeks! In two weeks, we've quit our New Year's resolution because the easiest thing to do is quit. And as soon as a problem comes, our default is, it didn't work, I tried, I quit. But problems are going to come. And if you quit every time a problem comes, you will never accomplish anything. And it will get easier and easier to quit the next time because it becomes your default position. 
And so here are the people. They're faced with this problem. What are we going to do? We're overwhelmed. It's just not working. The easiest thing to do is to quit. When uh, my kids live out in Southern California, Alyssa and Matthew, Andrew, and Tiffany, of course, just moved back. Outside of Pasadena, there's a place called Eaton Canyon Falls. It's a four-mile hike out to Eaton Canyon Falls. Uh, it's a beautiful waterfall that's out there. Most people, when they do the Eaton Canyon Falls hike, never make it to the falls. Do you know how far they go? 3.6 miles is what the average person does. They get within four-tenths of a mile from the falls, and they quit. Here's why. Take a look at this picture that's right here. There's the falls. Right before you get to it, see all the rocks and everything on the side? The problem is this. Before you get there, there's a whole series of rocks you have to climb over. And the rocks last for maybe a quarter of a mile, something like that. But people get all discouraged. They're already hot. They're already tired. They've gone three and a half miles. They get into the rocks. They go, this is stupid. I quit. And they turn around and they go back and they're less than a half a mile from the falls that are there. 80% of the people who hike Eaton Canyon Falls give up at that point. They go 3.6 miles and they quit because quitting is always the easiest thing to do. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture passage. We need to meet the challenges that come upon us, adapt, and continue to move forward. Meet the challenge head on, adapt, and move forward. All of those things are very important, and we're going to see how they take place in our scripture. Look down at verse 13. <clears throat> First of all, Nehemiah meets the challenge head on. They, the people could attack them at any moment. His own people are discouraged. Verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. So the first thing that he does is this. There's some gaps in the wall that, it, that the soldiers could come through. So he posts guards at those camps. How does he post guards? In their families. So you're protecting your family. Does, the, does your motivation go up a little bit if you're protecting your family? What do you think? Guarantee you, if, if these are your two choices, protect the city or protect your family, which is a better motivation? Protecting your family. He assigns them by families to protect the gaps in front of their own houses. So these are motivated people when they get in there to take care of their own things. Verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He reminds them what they're doing, why they're doing it, and that God is with them. We serve an awesome God. God has called us to do this work. Don't give up. Get out there and do it. That's why you need, we talked last week about accountability partners. You need someone when you get discouraged and when you get low and when you want to quit that says, no, you're doing this for a particular reason. It's going to help your life. God's with you. Don't give up. That's exactly what Nehemiah is telling the people here. The easy thing to do is give up. Don't give up. So the first thing Nehemiah does is he directly meets the challenge that is there. And the result is verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, that God had frustrated it, 
we all return to the wall, each to our own work. So the first thing he does is that he begins to get the people to get remotivated and get out there and do the work trusting in God. The next thing he does is he adapts. Whenever problems and troubles come, you got to adapt. I guarantee you, whatever plan you start with in improving your life, you're going to have to adapt it some way along the line. Problems, troubles, changes will come, and you're going to have to adapt. If you don't adapt, it's over. So let's see how Nehemiah adapts to this new reality on the ground. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work. The other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand. They held a weapon in the other. Each of us, the builders, wore his sword at his side, and he worked. But the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. God will fight for us. How does he adapt? Before this, you have people repairing the wall in their little groups uh, that are repairing the wall in their particular section. The way he adapts is this. From this time on, only half the people are going to repair the wall. The other half are going to stand guard. They're going to have their swords ready. They're going to be ready to fight. They're going to be watching. And so the work is going to go a little bit slower, isn't it? It's not going to go as fast as it was originally because only half the people are working, but there's a new reality on the ground. They could be attacked at any moment. And so half the people work, half the people stand guard. And so they're adapting to the new reality. There will come a time you're going to have to adapt. So you say, every night before I go to bed, I'm going to read my Bible, pray, and try to get closer to God. It just doesn't work. There's always a problem at night. Well, then maybe you need to get up 30 minutes earlier and start doing it in the day. Maybe you need to do it at noon during your lunch break or something. But you're going to have to adapt and move forward and not quit. And this was Nehemiah adapting to what's going on there. Uh, he tells them, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally. Uh, everybody there, we're going to work together. We're going to protect one another. And then that brings us to the very end. Look down to verse 21. So we continued the work with half the men holding their spears from the first light of dawn to the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night. They can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards who we with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went out for water. And so, again, what's happened? They've been remotivated. They've adapted, and now they're continuing the work. You're going to have to remotivate when problems come. You're going to have to adapt, and then you continue the work. The work is continued here. Nehemiah says, we didn't even change our clothes at night. We wore our clothes ready to go out and fight at any moment because we had adapted to what was going on, but we continue to rebuild that wall. In 1978, there was a guy by the name of James Dyson in England who had just graduated from college. Dyson was at a sawmill and saw that dust was being taken out of the air in the sawmill so that people could breathe better. And he kept watching it and he thought, what if you could take that technology and use it in a vacuum cleaner? And so he began to think about, what if I did that in a vacuum cleaner, a bagless vacuum that didn't need suction? 
His wife was a school teacher. He went and told his wife, man, I've got this brilliant idea, and if you'll just let me work on it, uh, and you support the family by being a teacher, I can invent this thing, and we're going to make all kinds of money. And his wife says, mm, okay, let's try it. And so he did. He worked on it for a decade. During that decade, he had 2,000 failed attempts at the vacuum cleaner. They totally ran out of money, and his wife got a part-time job on top of her teaching just so they could pay the bills while Dyson continued to work. But he tried another 3,127 times. 5,127 failures. They completely ran out of money and were broke when finally it worked. And when it worked, he said, man, this is going to be revolutionary. And he took it to all the big vacuum cleaner people. Guess what his vacuum was going to cost in the 1970s? $2,000. Guess how many vacuum companies said, man, sign me up for that, baby. We can't wait. You know how many people signed up for it? Zero. Zero. They were about to lose their home. They were about to lose their family. Nobody would buy his vacuum. And Dyson said, I'm not going to give up. I think I'll start my own company. I'll start my own company, and we'll make it ourselves. If you could just get a second part-time job to do that, we can do this, honey. And so she said, okay. Now, there's something wrong with everybody here at some point. You know, that's there. And so he starts his own company. He, this is the very first vacuum that he invented, the Dyson vacuum. Take a look at it right here. Do we have a picture of it? I don't have a picture of it. Okay, I don't have a picture of it, but it's really nice. It's really pretty. Do I have the next picture? So, they go from poverty, about to lose their house after a decade. Within five years, James Dyson is a millionaire. Within 10 years, he's a billionaire. Today, he's one of the richest people in the entire world. That's James Dyson, his wife that no longer works. <laughs> their house, their private jet, their yacht, and the Dyson office building in London, England. Now, what's the point of all of that? The point of all of that is it's easy to quit. But when you have a vision and you believe in something, you're not going to quit. It's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for them. I, anybody think at some point his wife thought, man, this is stupid. What, what am I doing here? She's probably not thinking that on the private jet going to the yacht right now. Hang in there. Problems are going to come. If what you're doing is important, if what you're doing is going to improve your life and make it better, it's worth it. Don't quit and see the results that'll come from it. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your word. We just pray that we'd each look at our lives and meet this challenge. And Father, really step forward in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. 
If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.